So when it comes to caring for creation, probably one of the most influential Americans who ever lived was a man named John Muir. John Muir. Some of you are probably familiar with Muir. Uh, Muir lived in the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, and he spent the last 50 years of his life living in Yosemite Valley in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Uh, And he was really just there to commune with his creator. He explored the region. He wrote books and articles about his time out there and poems. And it was this writing that he, that he was doing that led him to, to a level of national prominence. In his articles, he, he advocated strongly for the preservation of the wilderness. That was his, his passion. And uh, in 1906, this advocacy led to something really notable. Uh, he got a visit from the president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt went all the way out to visit with John Muir in Yosemite. And this is crazy to me, but they actually went together, just the two of them, and went and backpacked out into the mountains. Can you imagine, like, Secret Service letting the president do that now? But, but that's what they did. And that moment with, with Roosevelt hanging out with Muir in the mountains, that was a really important moment for Roosevelt. And in many ways led to his passion for creating and spearheading the, the creation of the National Park Service, which today the, the, the national parks are 84 million acres of protected land, all of which began because John Muir was concerned. This land was under threat of losing its wildness and being, being uh, taken over by the forces of industrialization and the Western expansion and all of that. John Muir, his influence is one of the main reasons why we have those national parks today. So it is amazing to think that this, this man, his passion for caring for creation literally changed the world. Changed the world. And that's what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about this whole month about how we, uh, as, as followers of Christ, as we serve the Creator, how we can care for this planet, how we can care for life and, and all the things that are, that are good here, and how we can be advocates for, for just like John Muir, for uh, caring for this creation. Now, this, uh, as Amy uh, alluded to, this is the final message in the series. We're going to have Weekend of Service next week, but this is the, the third part of our trilogy of, of creation care messages. And next week, it's going to be awesome. We are going to be, we're going to be outside serving. We're not going to be in this building at all. We are going to be worshiping through action, through serving together. And if you have not signed up yet, I'm just going to give one final little prod for those of you who are procrastinators. Now is your time to get on that because a lot of the projects are filling up. And if you're going to try to get your family to serve together or your small group or something like that, you got to get on there and register ASAP. At the end of the day, if you really just want to roll the dice, you can show up and we'll find a project for you to serve in. But if you want to know what's going on and be prepared, do it today. Please don't delay. That rhymed and I didn't mean it to. So... Anyway, all right, whatever. So uh, I will say one of the coolest things, we've got several projects that are here on our site because best kept secret at Grace, shouldn't be, but best kept secret is that our whole north part of our property is this beautiful native wildflower meadow. And it's got paths, it's got a little pond, it's got little, little, some woods there. If you haven't been back there, it's amazing. And this is a great excuse to get out there and take care of some, you know, ripping out some invasive plants and, and doing some, some pruning with trees or something like that. I don't know. It's going to be cool even caring for the property that we have here. So sign up. Now's the time. All right. I thought, you know, what would be handy or useful is to do a bit of a recap 
of where we've been in this series, before we dive into it, because I don't expect that everybody's heard both of the messages that came before, but they're important to understand sort of this, this big idea of, of how and why we should be caring for creation. So let me just kind of do a quick recap. Throughout the month, we've been asking some big questions, big questions about, about creation care, the first of which being, why should I care? Why should I care at all? Uh, I mean, with so many other problems in our world, why should I lift a finger to help care for the planet? And as we saw in week one, uh, the answer really boils down. We looked at Psalm 104 and and other uh, passages of Scripture, and it really boils down to this. Because God cares. God cares for his creation uh, we should too. He, God is, is active and, and nurturing life everywhere we look. He's, he's concerned and involved and, and working to, to bring about life and thriving for his creatures. I mean, it's his creation after all. He's active and involved. And so if he's active and involved in nurturing life, then we probably should too. Why would we be working against that if that's something that he cares so much about? We can, we can learn how to, as, as Paul, the Apostle Paul says, we can imitate God in everything we do because we are his dear children. And imitating God involves caring for this creation because that's what God is up to. If he's doing that, we can too. So that was week one. Last week we, we said, okay, all right, if we're going to join God in caring for creation, then question two, what should we do? What should we do? What does it look like to actually care for creation? And so for this, we, we looked back at the creation stories of Genesis, the accounts of, of, of God creating everything, and we asked the question of, okay, what was the original vocation for humanity? What was the original job description for humans to begin with? And we saw that, that Adam and, and Eve and all the other humans that came after them were given the job of being stewards of the earth, being stewards of God's creation, being the, the shepherds and the gardeners and the caretakers, the, the ones who, who represented God's intentions for the earth. So, you know, God creates things and we are here to carry that creation on, to keep moving with it, to be stewards. But, of course, we saw how things kind of fell apart. And when you look at Genesis 3, you see how the curse was brought into our, into our world. And the curse uh, broke the relationship between humans and the earth. Adam and Adama in Hebrew, right? That, that relationship is broken in, in the curse. And that's what leads to so much uh, chaos and brokenness in our world. But to make a very long story very short— there's good news because that curse was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. That curse, he became the curse and he died. He took it down into the grave. And when he rose again, the curse stayed there. So the curse, which, which broke apart the relationship between humans and the earth, that's healed, which means that now we can begin to reconcile with this planet. We can, we can begin to get back to our original vocation as the stewards and the caretakers of the earth, of the earth. So that is what we can do. And what does that look like? Well, we talked about this last week. It looks like paying attention to the world that God has given us. It looks, like, uh, it looks like stewarding the little patch of Eden that God has given us. We've been entrusted with something, some sphere of influence, so we can steward that well. And it looks like stepping into our passions and discovering how we're wired. Uh, some of us are passionate about 
solar panels and, and clean energy. Some are passionate about organic farming. Some are passionate about animal welfare. And others are, are, impassionate, are passionate about biodiversity or, or, or sustainability. Whatever it is, we can step into our passions and, and we can be used by God to heal this world in Jesus' name by becoming stewards of his earth again. So that's where we've been. Today, we are going to be asking a very difficult question. And, a, and a, if we're, we have to honestly talk about this, and it's the question, okay, what if it's not enough? What if it's not enough? I mean, look, you see the headlines every day, and they are just really, really discouraging. Ecosystem collapse and species extinction and, and environmental catastrophes on a global scale. I mean, what good is the creation care work that I do if, if, if it's just a drop in the bucket? I mean, what good is it for me to, to care for my little patch of Eden if the rest of the world is going up in flames, right? I mean, I'm no John Muir. I'm, I don't have a, a national platform for my advocacy. I don't have the ear of the president of the United States. He's not asking me to go camping. So what am I going to do if, 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 I don't have, um, if I don't have the influence? If, if my measly efforts or our measly efforts as a church, if they just don't add up, if they don't really make a dent in the problem at all, what if it's not enough? And like I said, that's a pretty hard question. It's an intense question, but I think it's one that we've got to ask with this and frankly with any of the work that we do to heal the brokenness of our world. What if it's not enough? So let's get into it. Uh, I've been thinking about this series for, well, a long time, but I've been really, really meditating and preparing for this series for months. And one of the things, as I've thought about this particular question that has come up in my mind a lot recently is— I found myself thinking back to the time before I was a pastor, my job before being a pastor, because I spent a lot of time asking that exact same question, what if it's not enough? Uh, the job that I had before, I was, I was traveling around the world and I was spending time in really, really broken places uh, where I saw injustice and pain and terrible poverty and tribalism. And, I mean, you name it, I probably saw it with my own two eyes. Um, this is kind of grim, but I realized this week that I have stood at the foot of multiple mass graves. Mass graves. I, I, I've stood at the foot of mass graves of people who have died from disease. Uh, mass graves of people who have died from, from genocide, uh, from natural disasters, from, from institutional neglect. I realize I've, I've seen those things. And, and I mean, you can believe me when I say that, that it's decay of our planet is hardly the only broken place of our world that has made me ask, okay, what if it's not enough? Because I've looked around and I've seen brokenness and it has made me despair in some ways, right? It's made me want to despair. And so with all the brokenness I saw, it was very tempting to, to give into that despair, to give up hope, to say, you know what, what is the point? What is the point? It's not enough. So what are we even doing here? But I never actually did. This is what I've been thinking about. I never actually did. I, I never ultimately despaired or gave in to that sense of hopelessness. And I want to talk about why, because I think it's important as we talk about caring for creation and we're asking these exact same questions. I never did. So I want to clear something, out, uh, clear something up right out of the gate. It is not 
because I'm cut out of some different kind of cloth than everybody else, okay? It's not because I've got some extra dose of mental fortitude or, or a gift of faith that other people don't have. That is not the reason that I didn't despair, okay? That is not the reason. I do want to tell you, though, that the reason I didn't give into, into hopelessness is because of what I saw alongside the, the terrible, terrible brokenness of my world. I saw something at work that was alongside the terrible things I saw, and that changed the equation of despair for me. Suddenly, uh, it wasn't even possible to give into despair because of what I saw at work. And I want to talk about that today, because I think it'll be help, helpful for you. So, to... to talk about what I'm describing. I want to go to scripture, so please grab a Bible. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter uh, 3, chapter 3, starting in verse 14. So go ahead and grab a Bible. The house Bible's in the seat in front of you. It'll be page 978, or of course, if you're watching at home, if you're watching online, feel free to just get whatever Bible's lying around, and, uh, and we'll, we'll uh, get you going. So Ephesians 3, uh, real quick context, a little bit of the world of the text here. Uh, Paul, in this letter to the church in Ephesus and some of the other local churches, he has just finished this like big description of what he calls God's mysterious plan. God's mysterious plan, which, which uh, to him is this, is this brilliant uh, coup de grace of, of God. Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I think Ken is back there doing Spanish translation, and that was not in my notes, coup de grace, so good luck. Uh, he's doing our, our Spanish translation right now. Um, God has pulled off this incredible rescue plan that nobody saw coming of actually stepping into our broken world, sending his own son, and bringing an end to the curse. It was this shocking revelation. It was God's mysterious plan revealed. And he's bringing healing to the earth. And so Paul's reflected on that. And then he says this in verse 14. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees in prayer and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources that he will empower you with inner strength from the Holy Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, there's a lot here. I want to look a little bit more closely at what Paul is getting at. So look back with me at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul prays that his readers would be empowered with what he calls inner strength through the Spirit. So he's praying that as his readers, as they trust in Christ, that their roots would grow down into God's love, and then that would keep them strong. Now, I love this imagery here. I love it because it's nature. It's great. But I I, I picture this huge tree, right, in the forest, and, and I picture it with its roots just woven down deep into the earth. And I love that because, because in this case, he's suggesting that we can be that tree that's wo- with our roots woven deep into the love of God, deep into the love of God. That's where the strength comes from. 
You know, because when, when a tree has deep roots, when the, when the storms come and the, and the winds blow, the tree stands tall because its roots are, are holding it secure. So what does it mean to be, to be rooted into the love of God? Well, keep reading. Look at verse 18. Paul prays that his readers would understand what? They would understand how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. Which is like, all right, that sounds like a lot of work, but we'll figure that out. But then he says this in verse 19, even though it is too great to understand fully. So what he's basically saying is you're not going to be able to wrap your mind around it. Literally in the Greek, he says there that the, the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. I love that. It surpasses knowledge. It's like if you got all the knowledge in the world, the love of Christ would still go beyond that. You cannot grasp it in your mind. It surpasses knowledge. And that is what our roots are growing into. Now let's put on our ecologist hat for a second here and, and think about this. Why do, what, what happens when trees are growing? What happens to their roots? Do they just put out roots and stay there? No. Their entire life, the entire life of that tree, roots are growing and spreading and going deeper and farther and wider and higher. That's the point of roots, to keep growing so that the tree can get stronger and taller and reach more light and more nutrients and more water and all of it. That's what roots are doing. So to use Paul's analogy here, That is what should be happening with us and the love of God. It doesn't just stop. You keep growing. You keep spreading. The the mental image I had as I was preaching at nine o'clock, it's like, it's like the, a tree being planted on an entire planet, right? That tree's never going to get its roots all the way around, but it's going to try. It's going to try. And that can be us as we root ourselves into the, the love that surpasses knowledge that we can't understand. Now, here's why this image is so important for us. It, 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 when we're asking, what if it's not enough? What if it's not enough? If we want to hold on to hope, it matters where we put our roots. If we want to hold on to hope, it matters where we put our roots. Here's what I mean. It is very possible to root yourself into cultural expectations. The things that the, the culture around us says is important or, or you know, meaningful or, or whatever. So we can root ourselves into cultural expectations. We can also choose to root ourselves in, in good intentions. Like, well, as long as my heart is in the right place, that's going to be enough. It's also possible to root ourselves in the idea that human effort alone is adequate. That if we all just pull together, we'll be able to to do something that seems really difficult. We can root ourselves into any one of those things. But I'm going to tell you what. If that's where our roots are, then when the winds of discouragement come and the the hurricane of hopelessness starts to batter us, our tree is not going to stand. Because our roots cannot go deeply into something like that. What they can grow deeply into, though, is the love of Christ. That is what allows us to stand so strong when those winds blow. And here's what that looks like. Putting our roots down and and trying to grasp how high and how tall and how wide and how deep and all of those things. Here's what it means. It means grasping and trying to understand the idea that God cares about all these issues way more than we ever could. It means, it means understanding that God has been working to bring healing to the thing that we are, that we have in front of us long before we were on the scene. Long before we were born, it it means understanding and trying to grasp how God's love for his creation and for his children is wider and longer and higher and deeper than we could ever understand. God's love surpasses knowledge, but that doesn't mean we should try to understand. We shouldn't try to understand it. We've got to put our roots deep. And that is when we are empowered with strength from the Spirit. 
So this is what I began to grasp. This is the, the, the first ingredient that I began to grasp as I was traveling the world. As I was seeing all of this hopeless brokenness and all this terrible stuff, I began to realize that God's love was at work everywhere I went. When I saw poverty, I also saw right alongside that poverty, I saw a God who was, was radically identifying with the poor and bringing comfort and healing everywhere he went. When I saw injustice, I saw a God who was blazing with passion to bring righteousness and to, to make things right. I saw a God whose love and his compassion went far, far deeper than mine ever could. Mine had limits. His didn't. Now, guys, that is true for healing injustice. It's true for healing pain. It's true for healing separation from God. All the broken places, it is also true for healing decay. For example, I may have a passion for animal welfare, right? You know, maybe you know, like my wife and I, we, we adopt domestic rabbits. Like we have a passion for animals. We've got seven chickens, okay? We, we love animals. But God notices every sparrow that falls, as Jesus said. Like he's got his, his eye on every single animal that exists. I may care about biodiversity and I'm growing a couple plants here and there. God is watering every tree, Psalm 104, right? He is far more active, far more involved and in caring for this creation than I could ever be. So that is the key. His love surpasses knowledge. If we want to hold on to hope, guys, if we want to hold on to hope, we must root ourselves in the love of God because it is bigger than ours, all right? That is where we have to start. But that's just the first key. It's the first thing I began to understand as I was traveling, but the second key locked it all into place for me for changing the equation of despair. Look at verse 20. Paul says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, I want you to notice two things here. First, whose power is it that's accomplishing something in this, in this passage? It's not ours. It's his, right? It's his power that's at work within us. In, in Ephesians 2 verse 10, we, we quote that all the time at Grace, uh, Paul says that God has prepared things in advance for us to do. When we are out there doing those things, it isn't up to us. It's not our 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 power or our success or our, our resources or our strength that actually gets it done. It is God's power working through us. Okay, it doesn't have anything to do with how talented we are. It has everything to do, though, with how faithful we are. How faithful we are to what God puts in front of us. Are we willing to be an instrument of God? Are we willing to be used by Him for His purposes? If he calls us to something to actually do it, do we trust that no matter how big or small the thing is that God's spirit calls us to, God is going to use it for his purposes, which do what? They surpass knowledge. Do we trust that? Because let me tell you again, how much, here's a little quiz, how much can God accomplish through you? Infinitely more than, than we might ask or imagine, right? Infinitely more. God can accomplish more through, through our small acts of, or small efforts than we could even dream. Than we could even dream. This is what changes the equation of despair. And this, again, is what I saw again and again as I was encountering all the brokenness in this world. I saw God working through humble, faithful people to do things that, that I couldn't believe. 
Literally story after story after story of, 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 of God taking these tiny acts of faithfulness and then multiplying them into this world transforming uh, uh, change. For example, I'll give you just a couple examples. Now, this one story really sticks with me. I want to tell you the story of Mary, a 69-year-old widow in Cleveland who changed East Africa. Okay, so here's how she changed East Africa. She felt called by God to, uh, to support a young Rwandan man who was going to seminary in the 80s. So she decided, okay, the best way that she didn't have much money, she decided she was going to go and, and clean up a uh, local highway and, and recycle whatever recyclable things she could do. And so she was able to get about five or six bucks and send them over to Rwanda a month um, to be able to send this young man to seminary. Otherwise, he would not have been able to, to study. She did that, and this young man, he went to seminary, he graduated, his name's Celestin, and Celestin, after the Rwandan genocide, he felt called by God to begin a ministry and a movement of reconciliation, which today is now in eight countries across East Africa, changing hundreds and thousands of lives. So Mary, a 69-year-old widow from Cleveland, picking up trash, changed East Africa. That is the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'll use another example. When I was, yeah, praise God for that. Praise God for that. It surpasses knowledge. Um, I got to experience, I got to be a part of one of these stories with a really small thing that I, I was faithful in. I was in Ukraine, and this was in like 2009, and I wrote a really tiny little article, maybe like six, seven hundred words, okay? And it was an article about a young, a young orphan uh, boy in, in, in Ukraine, and God took that little puzzle piece and connected it to the, to the acts of faithfulness of many, many others far more deeply involved. He just connected the dots, and that little tiny article led to multiple young boys and men being adopted out of orphanages, not just in Ukraine, but in multiple Eastern European countries. It led to a, a movement of of deinstitutionalization starting up in Ukraine, and it led to, to many young adults from, from Ukraine and the U.S. and elsewhere who, who had their passion for ministry begun, and now they are in full-time ministry, okay? I didn't do any of that. My point is not to take any credit for it. My point is that I was in the right place at the right time to be used by God for purposes that defy description, that surpass knowledge. Guys, when we are out there trying to, trying to heal the world, we're playing checkers, Right? We see a thing and we're like, okay, I'm going to try to heal that. Boom, checkers, you know, whatever. God's playing four-dimensional chess. He is working here in ways that we can't even comprehend to make things happen that reflect his intentions for the world, that bring us back to Eden. That is how God works. My point with all this is, is, is look, I saw injustice and hatred and mass graves, and it was tempting to, to despair and to give up hope. But I also saw with my own two eyes that our God of love can accomplish more through small acts of faithfulness and obedience than we could ever imagine. That is what our God is doing. He is healing the world. It's not up to us. He's healing the world. We are just his instruments to do it. Look, if you don't remember anything else I say today, I want you to remember this one idea. This is, this is how it works. We are faithful in small things. God is faithful in the big ones. We are faithful in the small things. God is faithful in the big ones. That right there will change your equation of despair. That will change how you see the brokenness around us. It's true for all six broken places, including decay, the decay of our planet. We're faithful just in the small things. I mean, let's go back to John Muir. Do you think John Muir had a, had a national impact because he was this like inherently amazing, strong, gifted man? No. 
John Muir was kind of just this oddball guy in the woods, right? Like literally, think about John Muir. Uh, he, he would talk to mountains, literally, to ask them about glaciers and how glaciers formed. That's what he would do. He'd literally talk to mountains. One time he went up into a pine tree during a thunderstorm because he wanted to know what a pine tree experiences swaying back and forth. Okay, I'm telling you. One time he went on this mountain climbing expedition by himself with no one even knew he was gone. And all he took for supplies was a tin cup for tea and a couple of biscuits. Like, this guy's kind of just a weirdo in the woods. By himself, he would not have led to pretty much anything. But instead, God used his faithfulness to care for creation and follow his passions, and God did the rest. For example, it was God who, who led to an influential magazine publisher discovering the, the writings of John Muir and bringing them to national prominence. It was God who connected, uh, who, who helped this uh, California college professor hear about John Muir and, and reach out to him because he wanted to start a group for mountain lovers, a group that went on to become the Sierra Club, one of the first environmental organizations in the world. It was God who made that fortuitous connection with Teddy Roosevelt, going out camping with John Muir. John Muir didn't have a big agenda John Muir was simply sharing with, with Roosevelt his passion, what he saw, and how he saw God's creation coming under threat. And it was that that God's Spirit took, and the Spirit did the rest. That is how it worked with John Muir. Guys, we are faithful in the small things. God is faithful in the big things. So yes, our measly creation care efforts that we're doing here, they may seem like a drop in the bucket. Okay, I bought my metal straws, now what, right? It's like, what? It, it seems like nothing. Next weekend, we're going to do weekend of service, and I'm going to guarantee something. Some of you, probably, maybe me too, we're going to be doing all this work. We're going to be picking up trash and taking out invasive species and, and I don't know, doing all the cool things that we're going to be doing. And we're going to get to the end of the, the morning and be like, well... That was nothing. That was a drop in the bucket. Look at all the other, tell you what, when you start to see Asian bush honeysuckle and you start recognizing it, you're going to start seeing it everywhere in Hamilton County and you're, you're going to be cursed with that knowledge. And so, yeah, it's going to be a little bit hopeless. You're going to feel tempted to give up hope and say, why does it, what does it matter? But I want to remind you guys that God can do infinitely more with our small acts of obedience and faithfulness than we can imagine. His love defies description. It surpasses knowledge. And look, what matters is not our success. What matters is our faithfulness. Let's root ourselves into the love of God for this world. The next time that you find yourself asking, what if it's not enough? I just want you to hear this. It's more than enough for him. Now, with all of that said, I know that there are some of you, myself included sometimes, who maybe feel, even with all of that, even still feeling a little bit discouraged right now. And I've talked to, to several of you. You're, you're thrilled that, that Grace is talking about creation care, but you just, you're feeling, you're feeling at a loss. You're feeling discouraged. Maybe it's because, maybe you're just now starting out. You're starting out and you're like, okay, I took care of the plastic straws, but now what, right? Or you're like, it's just all so overwhelming. Or maybe you're somebody who's been doing this for years. You've been doing this for years and you're just kind of burnt out. You've got, you've got compassion fatigue, right? Or maybe you're somebody who, who God has, has put a specific passion on your heart and you feel like a weirdo in the woods. You feel like nobody understands. Maybe they mock you or they make fun of you for your, for your convictions about this earth. 
maybe you're feeling discouraged. If that's you, I genuinely believe that God gave me something that he wanted you to hear. And I don't pull that card very often to say God told me anything, but let me tell you what happened, and I'll tell you why I believe God wants you to hear something very specific today. So on Wednesday— This week, I usually write my sermon drafts on Wednesday, and so I woke up in the morning, and I had a phrase stuck in my head that I couldn't, I couldn't shake, and the phrase was, um, do not despise small beginnings, or something to that effect, and I'm like, what is that? That sounds familiar. What is that from? And I'm like, is that from a book, or maybe that was like, no, it's not Moby Dick. It was from something, like what? I know what it was. It's from Lord of the Rings, right? That was something Gandalf said. Gandalf said it about hobbits or something. No, not, not any of those things. I googled it. Turns out, lo and behold, it's in the Bible. And uh, you know what? Even pastors don't have the entire Bible memorized. So I was delighted to find out, wow, it's actually scripture. And then I went and looked up what scripture it was. It's in the book of Zechariah. And when I looked at the context of it, I was like, okay, Okay, God, I see what you're doing here. So the context of this, of this uh, phrase, of this passage, uh, the Israelites were coming back from Babylon, from exile in Babylon, and they were setting up shop in Jerusalem, and it was slow going. Uh, they didn't have the walls of the city uh, built. The city itself was a shadow of its former self, and the temple, which used to be this big, majestic, glorious temple, was in ruins. All they had managed to do at this point was to build the foundation for the temple. So just like a, the foundation stones. And it's pretty clear from the context that even Zechariah the prophet is feeling pretty discouraged by this. He feels like this is it. This is all we've got to show for our rebuilding efforts. And this is when God says to him, do not despise. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I am emotional because this, I think, is a message that some of you need to hear today. Don't despise the small beginnings. When you look out at the brokenness of our world and you see creation groaning, yeah, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to think that your efforts couldn't possibly be enough. But stand strong. Stand strong. Remember, God's love surpasses knowledge. Put your roots into that truth. Know that his power is at work within you and remember that he can accomplish infinitely more than you could even ask or imagine. He is at work. Look, don't despise the small beginnings. Don't despair. Because remember, we are faithful in the small things. God is the one who's faithful in the big things. And the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So my friends, Grace Church, let's begin. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, our Creator, still sometimes it baffles me that you would want to choose us, that you would want to use us and work with us We don't really deserve it. And yet, Father, relentlessly, you invite us to join you in what you care about, in the healing work that you are driven by. Father, it is is absolutely humbling. And so, Father, my prayer right now, I know so many of us feel overwhelmed and discouraged by the brokenness of our world. I pray that you would help us to grasp how wide and how deep and how, how long and how tall your love is that we would be able to put down our roots just a little bit farther today into your love that surpasses knowledge. 
Would you give us that hope to go on another day, to trust in you and to stay faithful to the small things that you have put in front of us, trusting that you are faithful to accomplish the big ones. And Father, I pray that as we, as we continue to engage with your creation, that we would see your majesty, your glory on display, and it would lead us ever again to a new sense, a renewed sense of who you really are and the deep and powerful love that you have that has led you to bring about your, your mysterious plan from the beginning. Would we be in awe, Father, of what you are doing as our creator? Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who reconciled it all. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.